we get into today's teachings, there's two today, two for the price of one, uh, you're going to get two, and the reason you're going to get two is because of our latest uh, events that we're going through as a uh, nation, and uh, my desire is to bring some biblical uh, counsel uh, to our present situation, and then we'll hopefully get into the Gospel of Luke as well. So I figure two teachings for the price of one on a Sunday, we're going to make church great again, and um, <laughs> too soon, too soon, too soon. Let me just tell you my story real quick, though. Friday was inauguration day, and it was one of the most horrible days of my life. And uh, I watched the inauguration, and my wife came down the stairs, and after the inauguration, she looked at me and said, you don't look very good. You need to go right back to bed. It was one of the worst days ever because I, I got the flu. It was, <laughs> had nothing to do with the inauguration. Tricked you. Tricked you. But I, I really came down with this thing, and I felt like I was going to die for a second there. And so I went to bed and slept all day, and then I woke up Saturday, which must have been yesterday. I'm not quite certain. And um, I went to my... Um, my bullpen and saw who, who could teach for me and I, I contacted a few people and said be ready and they started to sweat you know profusely and and um i just prayed and prayed and studied and i'm not really sure if i studied i've got eight pages to read through i don't know who wrote this stuff i don't know i don't know where it came from and, and if there's anything that's offensive or confusing today we can blame it all on inauguration day because of my cold not because of inauguration day and the cold medicine that i forgot to take this morning so let's pray let's pray and you're going to get sermon number one and then hopefully sermon number two and then uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they let me come back to the 11 a.m. service. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, we truly, we worship you. It is so refreshing to have a God that is supracultural, that, that transcends every culture. You're not limited to race or to gender or to creed or nationality. You don't even see that. Those are our things that we've developed when we turn to you, Lord, we turn to a God that is so much bigger, so much more broad and expansive than our issues. And it's so refreshing to humble ourselves and to turn to you this morning and to seek instruction that isn't wise and full of wisdom from an earthly standpoint, but instead, Lord, is generated from heaven from a heavenly perspective. And so in Jesus' name, now we humble ourselves and we turn to you on this day, Lord. And I pray in your name that as we go into your word and consider, Lord, your truth, that you, Lord, would be elevated and we would be alleviated from our fears, from our prejudices, from our hurts and our wounds and our angers that really pale in comparison to the truth of God. Lord, I really believe that the church, whether her voice gets loud right now, and I wouldn't advocate that, but that her stance, that, that her direction, that her conviction, that her foundation, that the church of God right now needs to settle up with her Savior, her Maker, and come into your presence and say, what would you have us to do? How would you have us to act? What would you have us to say? What would you have us not to say? How would you have us to serve? How would you have us to smile? What would you, Lord, have us to do? Lord, the voices are loud. The opinions are many. The emotions are real and raw. And so, Lord, we look to your word. And we humble ourselves and say, it's not about us. It's not about us. 
And Lord, I pray that there would be great rejoicing in the hearts of every man and every woman, every kid, every person here, and that the church of God would become more founded, more stable, more pure, more hopeful, and more helpful than ever before. I'll be the first to say, Lord, would you forgive me of my stupidity? Forgive me of my arrogance and my pride. Forgive me of my foolishness. Forgive me, Lord, of just who I am naturally. Everything I bring to the table naturally, Lord, is either offensive or needs to be redeemed or both. And so, Lord, with great humility, we approach you. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Father, would we serve you and love others in these days of confusion and tyranny and chaos, Lord, may there be love. Most of all, we just look to you. We say, what do you want? What's going on? What, how do we do this? Jehoshaphat, when surrounded by confusion, said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And I pray that that would be true of every family, every person here today. Lord, I pray for myself. I kind of feel like I'm going to pass out. I pray that I wouldn't. If I do, I'd fall gently <laughs> on the stage, not off the stage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I can't believe I'm here right now. I can't believe this is happening. Love you guys very much. I do. I do. We're all in, in this together. And uh, I don't know if we're going to re record this sermon or not. So we'll just, we'll see how it goes first. I'm just going to read my notes. Matter of fact, I typed up some notes, and I was intending to type them and have them in hand, and it was going to be one page of paper, just my, my, my statement for the new POTUS, President of the United States. Okay, my, my, my statement, that statement went from one page to two to three to four, and I didn't want to have four pieces of paper, so it's all right here, and it ended up being my sermon. Here's the deal, though. This is my response to our new President of the United States of 2017, and this response is put together in light of the recent inauguration of Donald John Trump. But I need to say this. What I'm about to read to you and hopefully preach and teach to you could also be used exactly as it is if it were a president of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. It could be used exactly this way. I could take what I've put together here and I could read this to you at both inauguration events of Barack Hussein Obama. It would fit for him as well. Both of the presidents prior to him, or all three, George Bush, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton, all of them could sit underneath what is written right here in light of who our God is. All the way back to Ronald Reagan, if you remember him. Young people are like, who's that? John F. Kennedy, Abraham Lincoln. Anybody there for that event? Abraham Lincoln? By the way, my kids are homeschooled. This is not in my notes. My kids are homeschooled. And do you guys know why Abraham Lincoln had a beard? True, true story. He received a letter and read the letter from a little girl. A girl wrote him and said, I think you would look better with whiskers on your face. And he thought to himself, well, I will just look foolish if I do that. But he ended up growing the beard out. And now we all know that he looked amazing. <laughs> Anyways... He's on the penny. I mean, it's a big deal. Anyways, 
I'll start with, I say that again because this isn't about Donald. This isn't about Donald. It's about you. It's about me. It's about anybody, anybody who's in charge of our country or any country and our response as Christians, not American Christians. There's no such thing. Okay? We're Christians. We're Christians. We, we live for a city that is not yet here. It's true. No matter if you're tempted to move to Canada or you want to do whatever, you can't escape who you really are and who you really serve in any area. Let me start with a verse, and I hope to intend to read a lot of verses. You can write these down and study them yourself and just kind of put them in, in order. Uh, Psalm 20, verse 7 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist writing that some people trust in who's in charge. Some people want the Democrats. Some people want the Republicans. Some people want them and those, but our trust is in the Lord. Our trust is not in whose office, but who's in heaven. We don't put our trust in men and women of our societies to lead us. We put our trust in God. And listen, while we don't trust in our leaders as much as we trust in our God, God does instruct us on how to respond to the leaders that he puts over us as Christians in any era and in any circumstance. This is very important because I, you can't change the election, right? You can't change the next four years. A lot of you want to. A lot of you wish you could. There's people right now demanding recounts and votes. And look, it's not going to change that. You have the responsibility to change you, your response, how you hold yourself. Now, here's the cool part. We serve a God that's not limited to time and culture, politics or rights, climate or status, class or agendas, crime or sin. He's not limited to any of that. Instead, our God chooses and has chosen throughout every generation to accomplish his will through redemption in light of every class and race and crime and sin and culture and era. This is crazy town. You got to believe this about our God. He's not tripping. He's not up in heaven wanting a recount. He's not up in heaven casting his vote. God, God looks at the way we deal with ourselves and says, well, I can fix that. I can use that. Well, I can, I can, I can make that work. Every era, every situation, every climate, every sin. What? You mean God is pro-sin? No. You mean God is pro-crazy culture? No. You mean God is pro-crazy era and leadership? No. But God is above it all and is not thwarted, is not unable to redeem and cause good to come from every situation in leadership ever. Right away, you should at that point just be saying to yourself right on, okay, okay, God's going to do something. God's got to do something. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It could be Pharaoh. It could be Nebuchadnezzar. It could be Caesar Nero, who in the Gospel of Luke is in charge at the time of the birth of the Savior of the world. <laughs> Sorry for spitting on you. That was fake spit. Caesar Nero in charge of the world. And God at that time says, well, how about I just save the world? Would that be okay with you guys? Well, Caesar Nero, one of the worst, Caesar Nero. Actually, it wasn't Caesar Nero. It was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Nero would come along later and would kill the Apostle Paul about 60 years later. Caesar Augustus, I correct myself, 
Caesar Augustus, Caesar. When they named Caesar, all the Caesars had the same name, Caesar. It's like Little Caesar's Pizza. <laughs> but they asked him, what do you want your name to be? Caesar, Caesar what? He said, Caesar Augustus, which means of the gods. That's what I want people to remember, Caesar of the, whoa, Caesar of the gods. Caesar of the God. Oh, cool. That's a great name for you. How about we birth the Son of God during your reign? How about we just redeem everything forever? Our God is committed to using and redeeming the events in every culture to further his plan and accomplish his will. Now, we serve a God who has instructed us, though, to set our minds on things to come, things above. Colossians 3, verse 2, second Scripture for this teaching, you need to look up, says, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. This is a deliberate effort of yours and mine, deliberate. It's not gonna, you're not going to accidentally set your mind on things above. It's not just going to go there, okay? Naturally, you're going to set your mind on CNN, okay? Naturally, you're going to set your mind on Fox News, okay, or the stock market, or what's happening on Facebook Live, or whatever march, or protest, or whatever event is happening. That's what you're going to set your mind on. You, as Christians, I'm not talking to the world right now, I'm talking to you guys, my friends. You need to set your mind on things above, not on things below. Colossians chapter 3, read it later. As a matter of fact, this is a verse that I read a couple Sundays ago to begin our worship service. Hebrews 13, 14 says... For here, that's in Newport, in Washington, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, says it's not about here, it's about the kingdom that is coming, it's about the heaven that is above. It doesn't matter who's in charge or who's not in charge at any given time, it will never be perfect or balanced while on earth, never. The Jews... In, in that day, when Paul would write the book of Hebrews, the Jews in this day still wanting a temple to be rebuilt in order that worship would be reinstituted, in order that sacrificial system would be readopted, in order that they could find themselves finally able to have solace and comfort. And Paul writes to them, hey, 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 it's not about this city. This city, we have no continuing city, but instead we are looking for one to come. So if you're looking for perfection and balance here on earth, and some of you are, we got to balance it. we got to figure it out. Make America great again. Recount. Whatever. If you're looking for balance here, you are part of the Global Fools Parade. Now, I'm going to use an illustration, which I've used before, and I'll use again, which is of the road. Okay, the road is where we want to be. In every truth, in every situation, there's a road. On either side of the road... There's ruts, okay? Ruts of neglect, ruts of excess, ruts of fear, ruts of celebration, ruts of, of great despair and ruts of great hope when the truth is just the truth. It's just the truth. There will be no balance. There will be no perfection on earth. It's just not going to happen. There will be, though, God's redemption and God's purposes and God's plans enacted always. Caesar Augustus, whatever the president calls himself or herself, okay, 
But if you're looking for balance here, you're never going to be at peace. You're never going to be absolutely tranquil. As a matter of fact, listen, it's not going to happen down here until Jesus Christ is the commander-in-chief. It will happen one day, okay? It won't happen until that day, but it will happen one day. And as Christians, when you know that, oh, it changes then the way you act or react. So what do we do, okay? Well, we find the road. We find the middle, the course, the way. In every situation, in every dilemma, there's always the road. We be careful of the ruts on either side. Now, here's the truth. Here's our situation, our dilemma right now. We have a new president of the United States, okay? It's just the truth. There's nothing you can do about it. It's the, that's the truth, whether you're for it or against it. Either side are ruts, okay? Now, if you're convinced, you're just, I'm talking to some Christians here. You got to hear this. If you're convinced that Trump is going to serve the country and make it great again, and your hope and peace are in him. Oh, yes! I know some people. Finally. Okay. Your hope is misplaced. Okay? It's just not going to happen. It's a rut. And you may think it's better than what we've had in the last eight years. That's your opinion. You're okay. You're entitled to that. But if you really think that this particular person can do what will not be able to be done except by the one Jesus Christ, okay, your, your hope is misplaced. Because <sighs> Trump is just a man, a very faulty man at that, period. That's it. He's just, he's just another man. Here's the deal. If you're convinced that Trump is going to destroy our country, and there is no hope of him leading us at all, and we're doomed and cannot move forward, that's the other rut, your confidence is misplaced, okay? He's not going to be able to do that by himself. He is only one man and a very limited man at that. And to react on either side of the truth, oh, we got a new president. Cool, finally, everything's gonna get better. Really? Oh, that was easy. Cool, we got a new president. Everything's going down the toilet immediately. Wow, really? That's amazing. That, that fast. I mean, absolute upheaval, absolute. Oh, and I just sit there and shake my head. Not too much, I'll pass out. But I slowly shake my head. I think to myself, really? Really? I, both ruts are, to me, ruts. They're distracting. They're dangerous. They're unbiblical. Proverbs 21.1, next verse. Hopefully you're writing these down. You can study them out and just think them through for the next four years. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Wow. I don't care who the king is or who the... How do you say queen? The queen. I don't care who's in charge. God says, I, I'm, I'm actually in charge. I do it. I turn hearts. I do what I do. When you know that and believe that, you stay on the road then. The road. I, I don't want to get into a rut. 
I don't want my friends to get into a rut. It's so easy to get distracted. Have you ever been distracted from, from the road? It's called texting, I know. We don't do that either, okay? I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to get destroyed. How are you going to do that? You're going to trust the Lord to steer the hearts of the kings of men. It's so fun to watch God be God. It is so fun to trust like Jehoshaphat in what God can do and what only God needs to do. My goodness. Here's another verse, 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. It says that we're commanded to pray over those who rule over us. I'll read it to you. Paul to Timothy, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Wow. What if the marches and protests and violence and Facebook posts and tweets and conversations and passports to Canada? What if all of it was also directed with prayer towards the new cabinet, towards the new leadership? What if the people that gathered yesterday said, you know what we need to do is pray immediately, pray, all of us? Now, that would be awesome. Okay, that would be awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome? And I'm sure there were prayers. Prayers that maybe <laughs> wouldn't be edifying. Here's just a simple question. Have you prayed for Trump yet? Here's another question. Did you pray for Obama? Or, or, or do you just fear and reject either of them? We're Christians. God's given us a clear road to be on in every regime and in every era. He's super cultural. I have my opinions, you have yours. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We don't know all the facts. We just don't. Yet we seem to think we do. Saw it on C-SPAN. Saw it in a meme. It's true. It's true. You know what's true? We're supposed to pray for our leaders. Did you know that it's hard to hate somebody that you pray for? It really is. It's actually hard to pray for somebody that you hate. I was just thinking about this, all the people that I know. Not leaders, but famous people that are godless. And I had to ask myself, have I ever prayed for them? Have I ever prayed for Madonna? Have I ever prayed for Jay-Z and Dr. Dre? Have I ever prayed for them? Or do I, as a Christian, just have my stance and have my opinions? The Bible doesn't ask us to have stances and opinions. It doesn't say, make sure you guys vote right. It doesn't say that. It says, no, it says, make sure you pray for the people that are influencing society. Instead of just hating them, instead of just ostracizing them, if you want to be active in this next four years or even in the next four days when people are... Who cares what your post says on Facebook? What are you really doing in your heart? I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to you and me. Wouldn't that be awesome if we just put our Christian pants on? You know, put our Jesus pants on 
Just do, do what he says to do. Because here's the deal. What we're dealing with here is really our understanding of God and the Bible. Okay, of the history of man and the story of God and redemption and the gospel. This isn't about politics at all. Not for Christians. Our, our city is not here. There's one coming. It's not about here. Nothing we deal with here is really about here at all. Everything we deal with here is about there. Everything, your health, your finances, your status, your good days and bad days, all of it is in order to get you a wake-up call to look up, to set your mind on things above. Every single thing you go through in life as a Christian is supposed to point you to and ground you towards the road, the real truth. The, the distractions scare me. Yesterday when I was watching all the marches and seeing all the emotions and the real pain and the real desire, I just, my heart was so heavy. And I don't even know why. I just, oh, I just, I fear we're distracted. I fear we're very distracted from some of the most important things in the history and eternity of mankind. And I could be wrong, but I fear I'm right. When you look to the scriptures and God gives us our clear direction for the road. So how you react right now is bigger and more important than you or I may understand. If you react right now to a cultural pandemic and to a cultural alarm system and to a finite reality if, if this is what dominates you and gives you great alleviation and superiority or gives you great pain and fear as we've seen around you both ruts are distracted absolutely distracted I don't want to do that. I won't do that. But what do I do? I just read 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, where to exhort and pray for those in charge. Let me read one more verse. This is Romans 13. Paul, again, writing to the church in Rome. Caesar Nero in charge at the time. Caesar Nero, not Caesar Augustus. Romans 13. Caesar Nero who Paul would stand in front of and give his defense. Caesar Nero, who would order his execution by the cutting off of his head. Paul writes this about Caesar Nero, if you think we're in trouble. He said, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's crazy. Then he goes on to teach the sovereignty of God. He says, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow. Paul sharing to the Christians that when you submit to the authorities, listen, it's not because the authorities are good. He didn't say that. He didn't say all authorities are good. He said all authorities are appointed by God for God's purpose. And when you 
resist the authorities that God allows to be in authority, you're resisting God's authority to be in authority. And you bring judgment upon yourself. What kind of judgment? A life of fear, a life of false hope. But when you choose, it's all about your view on God, your view of heaven. This is really your relationship with your Savior. And when you choose to submit to the authorities, what you're really doing is you're saying, God, you got this, right? I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. Did you know this goes on all levels? This is within your employer. Your boss may be a doofus. Okay, if he's, if he's here, don't laugh, don't look around, don't nod, just... And you may be tempted to then take matters into your own hands. Well, they just don't even know anything. I'm going to run the business my way. Oh, you are going against God's command, and you are questioning God's leadership. It's crazy town. Read the Bible. Some of my favorite characters in the Bible were subject to the authority over them because they were subject to God. And God wrote their stories down. Jo Joseph. Joseph, one of my favorite stories, was under the authority of weirdos and wrongdoers and crime and sin his whole life. And yet he, he chose to submit to those authority figures and to serve them with integrity and with purpose because that was serving his God and God used that to then save the world. God used Jojo, Joseph dreamer of dreams with this coat of many colors. And you and I develop this unrighteous pride so fast. And we're so quick to, thanks to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we're so quick to have our opinions. Let me tell you about, a little bit about Putin. I'll tell you what I think about him real quick. Really? You have a thought about Putin? Oh, yeah, okay. Let me tell you about the president. Let me tell you about the king. Let me tell you. Careful. Careful. Distractions. The rut. It's not how Christians ought to respond or act. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, again, I hope you're hearing this because this is very difficult. Because nowhere in what I've said or what we've read does the Bible say that the authorities around us are good because they're in authority? Isn't that just a pragmatic way of thinking? You shouldn't be in charge unless you're good. Uh, you know, you don't get a drive unless you know how, you know? It's pretty simple. Like, take the license from that guy. You don't get to be in charge. But that's not the way life works. People who don't deserve to be in charge are in charge all over the place, Okay? could be at your place of business. It could be in your marriage. Okay? It, it could be in politics. And God says, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll throw this in the mix of your marriage and in your business and in your politics. How about I just say to you that I'll work it all out? I'll give you some commands, love and serve, cover, forbear, trust. And then I'll redeem it all. And you and I, we have a choice. 
Do we trust that the Lord is able to do that? Lord, I'm not sure if you saw the latest headlines. There's a lot of them out there. The one I saw made me really want to get angry. I said, well, how about you turn that anger into prayer? This is going to determine a great deal of your fruit in moving forward in 2017. This, this response right now. You will either fall off the road and become fruitless. It don't care what rut you're in. Because your allegiance to God has been deviated. Either with fear and you don't trust God. Or with a hope that is in man and you too don't trust God. But when you choose to trust the Lord, watch out. Watch out for in your own home, fruit will grow. For in your own heart, love and light will guide you. For in your own heart, you will be protected by the mayhem and the crazy. And you, like the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, speaking of Caesar Nero, will be able to say with confidence, hey, submit to the authorities. For there's no authority given except that which is from God. And in, in so doing, you're worshiping God. And isn't that what we want to do? And we don't worship God through politics. We worship God through faith. In trusting him. So here's the question. Do you trust in God or in man? And do you find your peace and power in chariots and horses or in the sure word of the Lord? He's told us what to do. He's told us how to act. This is so important. Not to stabilize our country for, for Christians. This is such a huge fork in the road. What side will you pick? I say neither. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. It is not about Clinton or Trump or Barack or Bush or Clinton. It's not about that. Those are distractions. It's not about Madonna at all. At all. Now, let me just illustrate this with a story, and then maybe we'll get a little bit of the Gospel of Luke. the story of Daniel. You guys remember Daniel, don't you? Daniel, it's good stuff. Daniel's so fun, so wild, so radical. Now Daniel, 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 Daniel was taken through God's sovereignty, okay, into the nation of Babylon to serve under a ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone say Nebuchadnezzar. I just wish somebody would name their boy Nebuchadnezzar. Wouldn't that be so just awesome? This is my son, Nebuchadnezzar. No way. I got in a lot of trouble or a lot of question when we named our middle son Nehemiah. Like, Nehemiah, that's a weird name, Nehemiah. Like, no, it's solid. We call him Nemo, though. It works a little better. But you could call your son Nebuchadnezzar, and then his nickname would be Nebi, little Nebi. Now, Nebi... Nebi, real, real guy. You can Wikipedia him. He's the real deal. He's legit. He's, he goes down on history. He's got many sons. He's just a, a crazy person. Big old crown and big old beard. And Man, Nebi was, he was similar to Trump in a lot of ways. I'm using this as an illustration for our reaction. Nebuchadnezzar liked to build walls. 
matter of fact, Nebi built a wall around Babylon. Did you know this? He, he built his own wall around Babylon. He's, Trump's not the first guy to have this idea. Nebuchadnezzar built a wall, and he built it around Babylon. And the wall was 56 miles in circumference or in length. It would be like building a wall right outside the parking lot here to Wallport, okay? And then cut back easterly towards Toledo, and then go towards Solets, and then right around Depot Bay, and then back to South Beach, just a wall around our coastal cities, okay? 56 miles in circumference. It was 320 feet tall. That's 20 feet longer than, or should I say, the exact distance of a football field, end zone to end zone, 320 feet tall. Have you ever stood at an end zone and looked all the way and imagined that was a wall, okay, in the year 500 BC, 56 miles in circumference? The wall, in order that it wouldn't fall over and that it would be secure, was 80 feet thick. So thick was the wall, 56 miles in circumference, 320 feet high, that you could have chariot races all the way around it. This huge wall, Nebuchadnezzar built this in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. The ruins are still there. And here's the deal about Nebuchadnezzar. The guy was Kukulabesa. Straight up. He was crazy in his head. I mean, how the guy got in charge, how the guy got in power is left to be discussed. Like, how did this happen? Recount, recount. <laughs> this is Nebuchadnezzar. There's no recount. You're going to die. He's going to build another wall around you. <sighs> he was crazy in his head. And not only was he crazy in the way he led and all the decisions he made, he actually went crazy for seven years. You guys know his story, right? Remember, remember his story? There's this, in Daniel chapter 4, you can read it later in verse 30, the Bible says, and by the way, Daniel chapter 4 is the only Old Testament scripture written by, or at least verbally dictated by a Gentile. Okay, there's no other scripture in the Old Testament that is a, an input or insert from a Gentile. Nebuchadnezzar got to write a little bit of the Bible in his craziness. In his cuckoo-ness, because of what God did for him in his own life. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, that Nebuchadnezzar was walking around his 56-mile swath of walls, 80 feet in width and 320 feet in height. And he said to himself, he stroked his glorious beard, and he said to himself, look at what I've done. This is amazing. Behold all of Babylon that I have built. He had this thought in his head. Now, previously to this thought, God gave him a dream, and Daniel gave him the interpretation of that dream, and he had a moment with God, yet he ventured into pride and arrogance. Even after having an interaction with God, even after giving his life to God, he still swayed. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 31, that upon those words coming out of his mouth, whoa, look what I've done. God said, you fool, it's going to be taken from you today. The kingdom is departing from you right now. What? And the Bible says for seven years, he did truly lose his mind. They put him out to pasture, out to field. He actually grew his fingernails out and his hair grew like a, a dreadlocks all over his whole body. And he ate grass for seven whole years until one day he looked up and looked to God. And as soon as he looked to God, his sanity returned. This happens to all of us, by the way. 
that first part doesn't have to be so dramatic. <laughs> but the moment you and I look to God in the midst of our chaos, oh, 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 insanity returns, and he was restored in his mind and restored in his throne. Crazy story. And they brought him back in. What was going on for those seven years? How was, how was the kingdom operating for seven years while the prime minister, the chief commander, the president, the prime minister lost his mind? My guess, and it doesn't say, but my guess tells me that Daniel ran the kingdom. That Daniel knew what to do. That Daniel knew what was a man of God. And then when Nebuchadnezzar was restored, he had a heart of humility. And he continues to lead. Here's the deal, though. This is the kind of ruler that Daniel and his compadres were to serve under, Nebuchadnezzar. In God's sovereignty, in God's perfect plan, it made the Bible, made the book, many of our bedtime stories, many of your favorite stories. <sighs> Nebuchadnezzar was on a whole nother level of cray-cray, and yet God thought it was just fine to send his delegate Daniel into the lion's den, proverbially and real, and live his whole entire life in Babylon, serving under various despot kings that would come after Nebi. Did you know that for Daniel to serve in this environment and to be taken captive meant that his entire earthly family was either imprisoned or killed, most likely killed? There was a remnant in prison. There was a remnant left alive in Jerusalem. The prime guys like Daniel and his buddies were taken to Babylon, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Did you know that in order for Daniel to serve under Nebuchadnezzar, all of his human rights were not only violated but taken away? There was nothing left for Daniel except the ways of Babylon. And how did Daniel respond? You guys know his story. Daniel served. He never, never not served. Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar, his three sons, Darius the king who would come after, the Medes and the Persians, all, all the empires that would show up and take over. Daniel was just steadfast, 80 years of his life. Not able to return to his home. His religious freedoms were taken away, and yet he sought his God. Sentenced to death. Multiple times. Actually executed. Daniel was executed. Daniel chapter 5. The lion's den. Executed. Yet what happened? God saved him. His three amigos. Daniel chapter 3. Executed by fire. Yet what happened? God saved him. In that era. And in that day. Now here's the reason why I bring this up. It's so important. If you guys don't start listening faster, we're not going to get into Luke. While Daniel was living in horrendous, godless, brutal conditions, God was still God and good was still good. Nothing changed. Because these are rules. This is the road. Daniel found the road in Babylon. Bloodshed and carnality. Grotesqueness and frutility. Frutility? Futility. Did you know that God didn't take a time out from being God and good didn't cease to be good? There's no, there's no time out. Good is good. It's so clear. It's so clear. Christians, it's so easy to stay on the road. It really is. It's so easy 
to stay focused during this time. It is so fun. It is so rewarding to not fall into either rut or either distraction. It is so imperative of how you view God and how you view God is so much more important in how you view society. So much more. And your opinions or your status or your vote or your body or your thing or your, all of that pales in comparison to the way you submit to and view and worship and serve your God who still is God and you understand that good is still good. And you will do well in this life. And this life will pass. And when you stay focused, and there's so many excuses not to, aren't there? Oh, but this. Oh, but that. Oh, but they. Daniel. Daniel had every excuse to eat the king's meat, yet he abstained. To obey legislation that went against God, and yet he abstained and he obeyed God, suffered the consequences. He stayed on the road in humility in dedication. He preached the truth even in confidence and humility, and God blessed him. Did you know that while Daniel was in Babylon, not only did he stay the course, and I'm proud of him, stoked on him, okay, did the right thing, didn't get distracted and dissuaded, but not only that, but God said, I've got more going on, just so you know, this isn't just a waste. I'm actually doing things. I'm actually doing things in Israel, okay? Did you know that while Daniel was in Babylon, he was there for 70 years, Bible students, you know this. And that 70-year period was determined by God. It was a timeout for the nation of Israel. They had sinned. They had not given the Sabbath year to the Lord, and God said, well, I'll get my years. You just, it's it's going to come out one way or the other. So now you guys are in trouble, 70-year timeout. I've got to be a man of my word. I'm not going not to fall into a rut, God would say. So God was accomplishing his will, but not only that. Did you know that God was also revealing his plan? While Daniel was in Babylon, he received some of the most powerful and guiding prophecies in the entirety of the Bible. And not just Daniel, but Nebi. God gave Nebi. Cuckoo, Labesa, Nebi. Some of the craziest visions and dreams and prophecies known to man. Did you know that a dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar in this era, this crazy era, crazy godless, insanity era? God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And when he had this dream, he said, if no one tells me this dream, I'm going to kill everyone. Okay, I just, That's how it's going down. Nebuchadnezzar was a little bit nuts. And he said this, I don't just want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. I want you to tell me the dream that I had, because I can't remember it. And if you don't, I'll kill you, okay? Who's, who's first? Who's first? And everyone's like, uh, you're, that's crazy. You're dead. You're dead. And he started to kill everybody. And the message came to Daniel's house. Hey, everyone's going to die. You know, sorry. It's been nice knowing you. And Daniel said, what's the problem? He said, well, the king's had a dream, and he can't remember it. He needs someone to tell him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel said, wait, I, I know somebody who can do that. And he hit his knees. He said, hey, God, hook a brother up. <laughs> How do you pray? <laughs> Just make it simple. And all of a sudden, he got the dream. He's like, whoa, I just saw your dream. Ran to Nebuchadnezzar's house in boldness, confidence. 
Nebuchadnezzar, I've got your dream and the interpretation. He told him the dream and the interpretation. Did you know that in the dream and the interpretation of that dream was the details of the next five generations that would overtake and supersede Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire and Alexander the Great all the way to the European Union, all the way to present day? That the, the dream, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had and when Daniel foretold it, said, well, this is what you saw, and God gave me the interpretation, this is what it means, was one of the most profound revelations of untold human events that when secular people read the vision and the dream, they say, there's no way, that's too accurate. We, we don't think Daniel wrote Daniel, because there's no way that Daniel could have known these societies to come that perfectly. Oh, back it up, unless God is sovereign over all things and all people. And God gave this divine dream to Cuckoo Lebesa Nebi. And then this interpretation to faithful Daniel. Did you know that not only that particular vision, but Daniel, when he was older, he would die in Babylon, never go home. Never got to go to Jerusalem. Never got to go. When he was in Babylon, he himself had a vision and prayed for the understanding of it, and Gabriel, Gabriel showed up, said, I heard your prayer, heard your prayer, and here's the answer to your prayer, here's the interpretation of your vision, and he gave then the interpretation of Daniel's vision. Did you know that in that particular vision is the detail of humanity and the detail of events and the detail of history up until the command of the going forth to release the children of Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and then it's given the exact amount of time from that command, which is in 413 BC, and that command, which hadn't yet happened, when that command is given, then do the math and add these amount of days, and it will be the very day that the Messiah, the Prince, walks into Jerusalem. The very day that the Messiah... And if you do the math, if you actually have a calendar, an old school calendar, take your iPhone, just keep going backwards. Make sure and set it to a Jewish lunar calendar, not ours. And you do the math, it actually equivalates, if that's a word, it is now, into the exact date historically when Jesus Christ in Luke 19, Luke 19, Luke 19, we'll get there in two decades from now. In Luke 19, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, as prophesied. And Jesus Christ himself says, Behold, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, this your day. The day, because the day was marked. Where did the day get marked? Babylon. What? You mean God was detailing and dictating all things good and all things God when everything was bad? And everything was weird? Yep, he was. And he is. And he still does. Did you know that at that time, and apparently we will not get into the Gospel of Luke today, <laughs> did you know that at that time, Jeremiah the prophet, he was alive. Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah, oddly enough. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations goes down in history as Jeremiah hid himself under a rock as he watched Jerusalem burn. 
as he watched the last of the remnant be killed. The book of Jeremiah was written from God through Jeremiah to the children of Israel during this same time, while Daniel was in Babylon, while the remnant was in Jerusalem, while chaos was on earth. And God says, hey, Jeremiah, I got some messages from me through you to my people. Messages, songs of deliverance, songs of hope, instruction. Because in that day, there were ruts and there were distractions. There were prophets that day saying, you know what? It's going to be great. It is going to be great. Do not worry. That was Jeremiah's main foes, actually. Jeremiah was saying, what are you guys talking about? We need to repent. This isn't going to go. You need to repent. Don't listen, he would say, to the diviners and to the prophets that are filling your ears with ease. This is not going to end well. Saying that one day they'll be released from Babylon. It's almost over. It's No, no, no. There's a 70-year time cap. And Jeremiah was sent... And he gives us Jeremiah 29. Most of us love Jeremiah 29. Verse what? 11. Aww. Aww. Jeremiah 29, 11. You should have it memorized. You should have it tattooed somewhere on someone else's body. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. God's saying, for I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, thoughts to bless you, thoughts of a future and a hope. You guys know it. God from Jeremiah. Oh, that's good. What about Jeremiah 29, 1 through 5, before 11? He gives instruction, not just something to hope on to, something to hold on to. He gives instruction, and I'll end with this. Christians, I'm excited. I'm excited to not get into a rut, okay? I'm excited. One way, if you're slipping out of control on the road and you're about to go into a rut, you know how to get back on the road, don't you? Accelerate. Doesn't make sense. You want to hit the brakes. Ah! Take your hands off the wheel. Ah! No, don't do that. If you're sliding out of control on the road into a rut, you give it some gas. You give it gas, and you pull out of that slide, and you don't walk in fear, and you don't walk in foolish pride. Give it some gas. On the road. What is the road? Here's the road. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 5. This is your instruction. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, saying, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, Here's the instruction for us. What will you do there? God says, I sent you to Babylon. <sighs> now what do we do, God? Verse 5. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased while there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord 
for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. It's so clear. What if we're in Babylon? What should we do? He says, well, how about you just stay on the road? Yeah, but we're in Babylon. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. Okay, there's a road there too. Yeah, but they're in power now. Yeah, but they've left power. Yeah, but they might mess the power up. There's still a road. Okay, build houses, take wives, take husbands, make babies, grow food, and pray for where you live. What he's saying is, stay on the road. Don't get distracted. Don't get disappointed. Don't get diminished. Don't get destroyed. Give it some gas. Give it some gas. You, I'm not talking to the world, okay? This is, this is between you and I and the Lord. This is for my family and me. Because it's such an important pinnacle in our maturity. As a matter of fact, let me just say this, and I hope you hear it. The, the inability to see beyond our earthly leaders and laws and still remain at peace is directly linked to your understanding of God and heaven. The real issue is, who is your God and where's your peace? Have you set your mind on things above? Oh, I can't do that. Can't do that. They're changing the law right under our nose. I can't do that. You, you better do that. Well, I don't have to worry about heaven. Heaven's on earth now. It's going to be great again. No, you better set your mind on heaven. You better. If you don't, you will end up in a rut. Either way. Okay, we must focus more now than ever on who God is and what God wants us to do. So what do we do now? I got these four points that I'm going to summarize and we're done. I'm going to have the worship team come up, actually. I don't even know who wrote this stuff. <laughs> it's here, so I got to read it. What do we do? Number one, we're to pray for our government. Okay? I dare you. Oh, but they're all messed up. They're all messed up. Okay. Pray for our government. No, number two, we're to submit to our government as long as that submission doesn't go against God's law. You guys ready for that one? Well, I'm not, I'll, I'll submit on the outside, but not on the inside. I'm going to tell them what I think on Facebook. Really? Really? What else are we supposed to do? Because you're supposed to do that. We're to serve our fellow man and esteem others as better than us. That's the road. I would ask you to humble yourself today and repent of pride, arrogance, repent of fear and disappointment. Shake it off. What, what, ha what the? What happened? What, where, why did we hit the ditch so hard? Serve people and esteem others as better than yourself. We're to look to Jesus, who's coming soon, is the real king and the real commander-in-chief. I'm going to have you guys stand with me at this point. I'm not going to pray over the communion. I'm going to stand right here. Communion will not be germ germified. Father, in Jesus' name, we worship you. You're so much more real than anything we've seen in the last 72 hours. You're so much more, more powerful than anything we've said in the last 
72 hours or more. You're so much more beautiful than anything we've desired in our whole lives. You're so much more able and capable than any leader or any regime. And I apologize, Lord. I don't feel that I've entered into any ruts of fear or ecstasy. But I do know, Lord, I need to get, give it some gas to accelerate on the road, to press into you. And I pray for my friends, my brothers, my sisters. This is a very real time that we live. And yet it's just a moment in your story. And your story is that which defines us. And I pray, Jesus, that we would all repent of our distraction. Whether maybe It might not even be political at all. Maybe it's just personal or carnal. I pray in Jesus' name we would all simplify and intensify. Holy Spirit, speak loud and clear to every man and every woman. If there's actual practical steps we need to take today, things we need to let go of and repent of and confess, may it be done. Even now in the house of God as we come to the table and confess our sins knowing that we need you and examine ourselves seeing that we are saved by grace and proclaim your death until you come as we celebrate at the table. You need prayer during this time. There's people on my right and left. And there's people afterwards, pastors and elders and people that would love to pray for you. Don't leave until you get prayed for today. Lord, we really can only impact ourselves. I pray for a greater maturity and humility at South Beach Church and the church in Newport, the churches. Lord, may we shine bright. May all the church, Lord, the church, the church, the, whole, the habitation of God. Show us how to act. Show us what to think. Show us how to worship. We give to you our lives and our country. It's not even our country. It's your country. And you don't see the division between America and Canada and Mexico. There's no lines. You don't see that. You see people. We just need you. May we be the happiest people that are on the road that have ever been. Set us free. May there be great love and freedom from us. Great love and freedom to give to everyone we see. May we not be guilty of hate. May we not reject those in either rut. Please help us, Lord. Help me. We love you, Jesus. We take communion now and celebrate and sing this song to you because you are worthy and you are awesome. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.